Hey, Sales Lift Nation. I've got Brian Moeller on the podcast today. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Doing well, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Want to introduce Brian. He is a HubSpot veteran. He's been a channel account manager there for about six years. Also had a stint in the global sales training part of the organization. So Brian's brings a ton of background in channel sales management, sales enablement. And we really are going to focus on that idea of sales enablement today, which Brian, what does that mean to you? What does sales enablement mean to you? Yeah, Tyler, first, thank you for having me on. But when I First, think of sales enablement. You know, one kind of phrase really comes to mind, which is clarity breeds mastery. And sales enablement role is really to work to clarify areas like the sales process, value propositions, sales personas, playbooks, all in an effort to drive velocity in the sales process and ultimately close more deals. Clarity breeds that mastery uh, in the sales role. Mm-hmm. Perfect. You talk about this idea of velocity. I hear a lot about that, but I'm never really clear on what exactly that means. When you're talking about, I want to add velocity to the sales process, what does that mean? Yeah, when I think of velocity, it ultimately comes down to how do you shorten your sales cycle by making sure that you are asking the right questions, right? Getting the information out in the calls. So it doesn't, one call doesn't turn into three, four calls that you could have been more prepared or more enabled, if you will, with those questions to get ahead of time. So your sales cycle shrinks from three months down to two and a half months, down to two months. And then that gives you the ability to do more, better, faster, stronger throughout the sales process. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And it sounds like you're talking about, you're referencing there a little bit, maybe doing some pre-discovery, if you will. Do you recommend some of that happening offline? Try to get some of that before the call and throughout the marketing and like nurturing process with a client? Or are you just talking about doing it initially during that first discovery call? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. So I often um, think no role lives within its own silo within the organization. So there has to be this kind of step out to make sure that you're connecting with the marketing team, the sales team, and even the servicing team to see what happens afterwards. You mentioned, I'll give a quick non sequitur here. You mentioned I was in the global sales training program at HubSpot. When I first jumped into that role, my role, my, my job was to analyze and understand how that was working and operating and make sure that every sales rep came in had a very similar and succinct process. Mm. Once I did that, I figured out, actually, it's not just that little kind of gear in the system that I need to work on. It was the connection with sales management. What problem we had was as soon as someone got out of training, the sales manager would say, just forget everything you just learned. Let's actually (laughs) dive into what really happens. So we had to to stop that. And it was that side of understanding what that handoff was Mm -hmm. to that sales management team so they could coach effectively on top of it. And then once we had that down, we had to understand who was the right person coming through. So we had to connect with our uh, recruiting team Mm -hmm. and understand this is the, the profile that's successful. And that's what I think with sales enablement, you have to do the same thing. You have to step back and make sure that you're connecting with marketing to understand what their messaging is, what their value proposition is. And a lot of that marketing messaging should come from sales, right? Those are boots on the ground, having conversations every day. What questions are you getting? How do you answer that ahead of time? And then the services on the back end, how do you make sure you answer those you know, 
first onboarding questions ahead of time in the sales process when talking about getting started. So yep. I think it's definitely you know, in conjunction with marketing, like you had mentioned. Yep. You bring up a great point, something that I haven't really talked about a lot on the podcast, but it's a kind of a key part of any hire, but especially a sales rep um, is very fragile, especially in those early months. This handoff from the sales onboarding that you put your reps through mm-hmm. to the manager. And like you said, you, you brought up a poor example of the manager just trashing the on forget everything you just learned. None of that matters. Obviously that's an example of what you would not want to happen. However, that's probably happens more times than not in a lot of organizations because there's not that alignment between whoever's running the onboarding and whoever's actually managing that person on an ongoing basis. How can you get those two pieces aligned better so that you have a higher likelihood that reps can overachieve in those first 60, 90 days? Everything really comes down to conversation and collaboration. You need to sit down in a room and really align on what that manager is expecting. Is that realistic? And one of the big things that we had to clarify within that role was the difference between training and coaching. Mm. When I think of training, that is you have a blank slate and how do we take this information that I have in my head and we have in the organization and implant that into yours, right? If you think of computers, you can have your old computer, you take a wire, you connect it from one side and you go to the new computer and you can pass all that information over. And that's your baseline. And it's what is the baseline of information and training that an individual needs to be able to do their job on day one, right? Not a day 60 rep, not a day 90 rep, but that day one rep. Mm. Because within any organization you only have so much time that you can onboard someone, right? You need them producing. That's why you hired them. And then that coaching area was, how do you actually take that person from where they are? And whether it's continued training, but coach them in the idea of asking them the questions to help them get to their own their own conclusions and really make that training become their own. So I can have my own value propositions and training, but you and I, Tyler, we're not going to say the same things the same way. So how do you bring that out of an individual, get them more comfortable, more confident and train, take that coaching um, to the next level once it's passed over to the manager? Mm-hmm. I feel like I love the bringing up the distinction between training and coaching. I feel like that's not discussed enough within sales organizations. Do you think if, you're, if we're talking about enabling the mm-hmm. frontline managers or the head of sales or whoever is doing that training or coaching on an ongoing basis, not initially, they might be involved a little bit on the onboarding, but once they got, they have their reps, how do you enable managers, frontline sales managers to actually do effective training and coaching? And should they skew more towards the coaching based on what I'm hearing? Or what do you think success looks like there for those frontline sales managers? Yeah, I think that's a great question that's usually never asked. What we tend to, we tend to think about, or what I tend to think about, I should say, is the sales, when I think of sales enablement, I'll start there it all comes back to that clarity, right? Mm -hmm. Clarity that the sales manager understands what to train on, but the the sales rep has that same clarity of what's expected of them. So let's just use a, a common example of the sales process, right? Every step of the process has entrance criteria and exit criteria to get from one stage to the next. If the sales manager and sales rep are aligned on that enablement that's done by sales, sales enablement gives them the ability to have a more constructive conversation to say, you moved it from this stage to that stage. Let's talk about what you found out, how we moved it from this to that area and make sure that we're all buttoned up on that. But then once we have that information, it gives the manager the ability to understand how to show up to that conversation. Mm. I talk to sales managers. I often talk to them about situational leadership. And it's like a 
look it up. I won't bore everyone with the kind of like main definition of it, but it's a two by two quadrant. And I think of it like riding a bike, right? When someone gets out of sales training, brand new to the organization, Mm -hmm. they are, they have training wheels on, right? Your hands are on the handlebars. Their hands are over yours. You're helping them steer everything along those lines. Next, you take those, those training wheels off, but your hands are still on there. You're helping them steer, but they have a little bit more freedom. Then all of a sudden you're clapping next to them and you're like, go. And they're finally doing it by themselves. And then that fourth quadrant is more of like, how do you, how are you there to hands off support, ask the right questions, develop them career path wise, because they really have those core fundamentals of the business down. Mm -hmm. And that's how we work to enable that sales manager to one, make sure they're aligned on all the process orientation stuff, but then two, take that individual from one where they are today, what quadrant are they in to that next quadrant? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the analogy of riding a bike there. I think that's such an apt analogy in those different stages, because I do think that initially they do need more help, but over time it should be less and it should be more you coaching from, like you said, cheering them on coaching. What about, okay. So for now, these reps are up and running, they're going they're they're on the bike and let's say they fall off the bike. They skin their knees. How do we help help those frontline sales managers coach to those situations? Because largely that's what managers deal with is the bad mm-hmm. things. So deals are going uh, you know, wrong way. You've got, oh, I'm not going to hit quota this month. Oh, this personal situation's going on and it's ruining everything and all this stuff. Essentially they become therapists at that point. How do we, how do you help those managers balance those situations once they're in those deeper quadrant four the training wheels are off. You know that they know how to do the job, but you're dealing with mm-hmm. all just the regular things you would as a sales manager. What what do you see working best in that once you get to that level of a relationship? First, hats off to sales management because that frontline <laughs> sales manager role, I think we've both been there, Tyler. It is not an easy role. And you often become the therapist in in a sense, in a sense of the word. When I think of that situational leadership in those quadrants, that rep as a whole might be in where the training wheels are off, we're clapping next to them, or they're going down black diamond mountain bike paths or whatever it may be. <laughs> but it's, that's the individual. There's times where you have to take it situation by situation. And you have to understand, how do I show up to this one? How do I show up to this individual conversation? But the way to show up to that, if someone's not hitting quota or someone's having a tough time is... There, you have to manage to a baseline, right? Okay, we have and understand where things are today, just strictly analytically. Let's dissect and talk about how I can help you get from one stage to the next. And it's no manager wants to come at it as like a big brother, let's manage to the numbers aspect. But what those, the reason why we have those numbers is to uncover the areas that sales management should spend their time on. Mm. So there is times where you're going to have to listen. You're going to have to understand we're all human and we all have these different scenarios going on. But how can we understand what we can control and where we should spend our time based off that baseline that sales enablements have created? How many deals should we have in the pipeline? Mm-hmm. What is our average value? What is, what is the velocity that these should close within? And that should help that manager be able to manage to a difficult situation, yep. coming back to basics and really understanding where to spend their time. Yeah, I love that idea of having the numbers dictate where the coaching should be directed. If anything, mm-hmm. they're just a, a directional navigation point for, hey, we should focus here. We should focus top of the funnel. We should focus on your closing. We should focus on negotiation. We should focus on you qualifying better. If anything, it should point to one specific direction because the numbers are always there as long as they're updating CRM, which is a whole nother battle. The numbers, if you do have good data, um, the numbers should be there and you should have the reporting to be able to pull out where that coaching should happen 
happen. Let's say an organization like isn't doing a good job of that though. Let's, let's say the numbers, are, the data is in there, but they don't know how to interpret it. They don't know what reports to look at. We don't know how to direct the coaching because we don't know what to look at. So wh- where would you point folks to, to get like where, I need to know what I need to look at so I know where to direct my coaching. What information do you think folks should be looking at so they know what to be coaching towards? Hmm. So I think, obviously, at that point, it's how do we slow down in order to speed up? And how do we make sure that we focus on that sales enablement? I have do a, a quick side story here where... I had oftentimes sales enablement and and that creation of the process and things along those lines gets put on the back burner until we're ready to do it. We're scaling so quick, we just need to, and they've never focused on that sales enablement. I had a a buddy of mine, he's, you call him, he's a good friend, accountability buddy, things along those lines. And one of his goals, I'm not going to say his name, one of his goals was to lose weight. Mm -hmm. And I go, so did you start running last week? He goes, actually, I didn't start running. I'm going to lose some weight before I start running. I was like, well, that's... I, I'm just going to tell you how that felt when you said that to me. Like, that seems a little, he goes, I'm going to focus on diet, things along those lines. And I'm like, look, procrastination is punished, right? So you need to start immediately, whether that's a walk around the block or something along those lines. When I think of someone who doesn't know what numbers or what to look at and reporting and things along those lines, it's let's get back to basics. What are, let's start from the end. What do we need to be able to do? What do we need to close? What are we expecting of this rep or this individual? And walk backwards from there. What are their close rates? How many deals do they need in presentation or in negotiation to actually close? How many you're right, and now you're taking the conversion rates from one sit one stage to the next mm-hmm. in order to do that. Obviously, the key to that is having a sales process, right? Is mm-hmm. understanding the close rates, understanding the percentage from one stage to the next. So I think it's just getting back to basics of a documented process that you can all align on and all start to build these analytics of conversion rate from one stage to the next. And I call it like a funnel metrics conversation of you can start from the top, right? How many do I need? What is my conversion rate to go down the bottom? Or you can work from the bottom up and say, how many customers do I need? And now let's work up. Okay, now I know how much activity I need at the top of the funnel to trickle down to that number of customers. So I think it's a combination of just getting back to documentation, alignment on what that process looks like that gives you the clear analytics and numbers, and then making sure that you're coaching to those numbers from there. Yep. So you bring up people wanting to delay sales enablement. I want to, I'm going to wait, you know, I'm going to wait until after I lose some weight to start running. When, when should someone implement sales enablement into their organization, whether that looks like sales process, I've heard you, you know, touch on that a few times, implementing some of these ideas and principles and systems that is going to make the whole system run smoother. When is the right time to do that? And I might need, I might utilize some words that probably require or should have more definition behind them. But I think when you have like a proof of concept, you've gotten your proof of concept down, you've run the sales as an owner or individual or sales manager, you've run that process a few times that it works and it's repeatable and that's a viable aspect. We should work to take that information from your head and document it. That's the training aspect that we talked about earlier. Documentation. Tyler, have you ever been in a sales role where they said, hey, go shadow Jordan because he's our best rep and you should really just listen to what he does? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Just follow the leader and the leaders, whoever's at the top of the board that month. So, <laughs> exactly. And it's not a scalable or repeatable model to bring in new reps to. And now you have this one person who's shadowing this one, that one person leaves. You don't have anything documented. Mm-hmm. You have nothing understood, nothing clear of 
What does that first call look like? What does that second call? How do you qualify, disqualify in and out of there? So I think it's just all of that. And as I lose my train of thought from the original question, that's kind of just my yeah. general concern. Yeah. I think one thing you bring up there that's important is the top rep usually becomes the model. They usually mm-hmm. become, this is the standard that we want to set because of course, whatever they're doing, we want to try to replicate. Is that always the case though? Do we need to be building enablement and process around the top rep or should we be looking like for an average, a mix of folks because the top rep that may not be replicate, be able to be replicated. How do you feel about who should we mirror in these processes? Yeah, I don't think it's determined by the sales rep or the sales team. It's by the goals that we've set based off of that. And some of those goals will come off of what was the productivity and ability to to the sales team to do. But I don't think it goes to a single individual or a single team, if you will, to set that specific number um, within there. Yep. Yep. No, that makes sense. Uh, Earlier, you touched on this idea of having alignment across the revenue arm where you've got marketing sales and success are all aligned, regardless of where your buyer is in that journey or what, which stage they're in. How can you, if we zoom out on the sales process, we've zoomed in on sales specifically, but if we zoom out and we talk about marketing and sales working better together, we talk about sales and success working better together. If I'm just now starting to think about that from enablement perspective, what are some of those first steps that you would recommend a company taking such that there's more alignment across that whole part of the organization versus just focusing on, let's just fix sales. Um, Because at the end of the day, sales doesn't work in a silo. They shouldn't. But how do we break down those silos and and work better across marketing sales and success? Yeah. And I think any lens that an individual and organization should take isn't on an internal side of what is the top rep doing? Mm -hmm. What are the top converting landing pages? I think it's external on what is the customer saying? What are the prospects saying? What is the value we bring to the market based off our our customer kind of database and customer profile? And that's going to really help us dictate what that is. I love the saying, you don't want you don't want your sales team, marketing team or service team saying 10,000 things one time. Hmm. Right? You want them saying one thing 10,000 times. And typically the majority of questions a sales rep gets on a call are the same questions, right? Like you and I have worked to get work together. There is, we probably get very similar questions throughout the sales process. Mm -hmm. The more we sit down and talk to services, talk to marketing, say, Hey, this is what we're hearing day in and day out. Let's answer those questions ahead of time through our content. Let's take a enablement standpoint to provide me a one pager with how do you connect your one system to your other system or something along those lines. That's the type of information I need. And once we have that alignment based off questions coming from externally of the organization, I think that's how we really get our teams working working effectively together and not within their individual silos. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love using that customer feedback and the idea of saying 10,000 things one time versus one thing 10,000 times. It, it should sound like a broken record, right? It, within your organization, yeah. because the customer only hears it one time. It doesn't matter if you say the same thing 10 times a day. It's as long as everybody's saying it, that's what you should go to market with. That's what's going to make you stand out. And you plant that flag and you move on and, and you just move forward versus what are we going to say today? What value proposition should I pull out of my hat today? It's like, that doesn't work. Come on. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like a clear definition of that value. And you can have two, three value props, right? Based off persona or whatever it might be. But that repetition, that repetition is what is key. And I think it goes to sales enablement too. When I think of sales Mm. enablement, great reps do every time what good reps do sometimes. Mm. So if you can repeat that same process time and time again, 
That's what great reps do, right? They ask the same questions that get into the why behind the decision. They get down to consequences and implications. Good reps, ooh, I had a really good call that time. So we'll have that call every time. Mm. And here's the playbook in order to have that call every single time. And the more you have that call, the more deals you're going to close, the more your revenue is going to go up, the more your commission check goes up, so on and so forth. And that's how the sales team feels enabled by their organization. Because a lot of times what you feel on the sales side is, this is what they're going to do. They're going to ask me for more this year, right? <laughs> they're going to IOX company a check for this year as my quota, mm-hmm. but they haven't really given me anything. This is how you enable your team to do more, right? To continue to overachieve. And I think that's why sales enablement is so critical, not only for the velocity in the sales process and to close more deals, but for the culture of Mm -hmm. we are in this together. We're growing together as an organization and a sales team. It's not just we're asking you for X amount of dollars to bring to the table this year. Yeah, it's almost, it's creating this standard of consistency. It sounds like throughout consistency in messaging, consistency in process, consistency in the questions I ask in a discovery call, like enablement it's almost just ensuring we are going to be consistent. And if we're consistent, then we can figure out where the holes are and how to plug them. But, but if you're not consistent, then, you know, we're just spinning our wheels almost. So is that if you get the same, if we get the same five questions, you and I are reps on the same team, right? If we get the same five questions, why should we have five, five different answers? Mm-hmm. We should have the same answers. We, we're selling the same product or service or whatever it might be. Those should be the same answers. And yes, you're probably going to say it a little bit more funny and with some more you know, personality and humor than I might, right? I might be that cut and dry type <laughs> of rep, but that's just, you should have that same answer, that same process, the same value proposition. And I'll just give Bruce Lee a, a quick shout out to my quote. His, his quote was, I don't fear the man who practices 10,000 kicks once. I fear the man who practices one kick 10,000 times. So I just took that and moved it into the sales <laughs> enablement piece. So I got to give my, I got to give credit to that quote. There. Um, yeah. But that, that, I think that's, that's the key. It's consistency. And we can say consistency over and over again, just to get the idea of consistency in, in everyone's head. Exactly. And I feel reps or managers or people, I feel like they almost get bored maybe sometimes. Oh man, so boring. I'm saying the same thing. I'm having these same conversations, but that's mm-hmm. what it takes to win. That's what it takes to build a predictable, scalable revenue model where you have consistency in all that you're doing from the message to the management style, to the coaching, to the numbers, to the the data and the CRM. Everything is, if everything's consistent, then we can really figure out how to solve everything. Exactly. As a sales rep, you have to love what you sell. For instance, at HubSpot, we sell growth, right? We help you grow better. And I love helping companies grow. That is what I'm passionate about, of having, of asking you the questions to have you come to your own conclusions of this is how I need to grow. This is how I can grow and scale the organization. The reason why reps turn over in two, three years is because they get bored. I've sold this before. I know it. I'm on to the next one. Top producer over here. Let me see if I can do it again. If you're not passionate about that product or service that you sell, then go find the product right. or service that you sell that you can have those conversations 10 times a day and not get bored with it. Thing. You're selling the, you're at the wrong company. Exactly. Just go find the company that jazzes you up. So exactly. And I think there's for sales reps or for companies, I should say for companies is to continue to develop different products and services. So sales reps have something different to sell, right? So I have a different conversation, a different persona, a different value prop that I'm going to go to market with that ke- that mixes it up. And now I'm sitting back and I'm in a conversation to better understand not what are the questions I'm going to ask to help them get from here to there, but it's like, 
what am I going to, what am I going to, how I'm going to, how am I going to help them? Mm-hmm. Am I going to help them? We'll use HubSpot for an example on marketing. Are we going to help them on sales? We're going to help them on service. And then once I get into that conversation, this is where I believe you can grow best and then go into there. But yeah, I think it's that, that's why I typically have seen a lot of sales reps move from job to job. They get bored. Mm, yeah. They get bored, but that means they're doing something right because they're consistent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What else as it relates to if I'm a company, I'm trying to scale up, I'm, I'm really looking to grow and I'm trying to figure out this sales enablement piece. What other words of advice that we haven't touched on already would you give to those folks in terms of sales enablement and how can they do it most effectively within their organization? So I think the, the first is don't worry about effectiveness. The first is take what's in your head and get it down on paper document it, right? If you have a couple questions that you ask all the time, put them down on a piece of paper, right? Get your message, your value prop, your story of an organization down on paper. Because when I think of sales enablement, and it's that combination of training and coaching, it's from that inception point of first start, someone starts a day one to year 12, that enablement's that entire process. The first part, to go back to your question, is the first part is just document it, and the second part is to make it simple, mm. right? I'll, I'll circle back to what sales enablement means to me. Clarity breeds mastery. The simpler it is, the more clear it is, the more effective it is. Mm-hmm. Yep, love it. Awesome. How can my listeners find you online, Brian, if they want to if they want to learn more about you? On LinkedIn, just Google my name, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N Muller, M-U-E-L-E-R at HubSpot. And then Twitter as another one. I'm tweeting out all sorts of things on a weekly basis. That's at B-W Muller 6. Perfect. That is my Twitter handle. We'll link to your LinkedIn and your Twitter profile in the show notes. So if anybody wants to connect with Brian on either platform, please. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. You can find all the links discussed and the show notes at thesaleslift.com. That's the, T-H-E, sales, S-A-L-E-S, lift, L-I-F-T, dot com. Have questions for me? Email me at tyler at thesaleslift.com. We look forward to seeing you back here next week. And we hope today's show brings you the sales lift your business needs. Remember, ideas plus action equals results. You've got new ideas. Now it's time to take action. And the results will follow. See you next time.